You're listening to We've Got Issues, a conversation with diverse thought leaders across sectors and the media, exploring hot topics and current trends in communications. This podcast is produced by Issues Management Group, an integrated strategic communications, public affairs, and digital firm guiding clients through complex, highly leveraged situations. This world is complicated. It's no surprise. We've got issues. Hi, everyone. I'm Reva Chessis. And I'm TJ Winnick. Welcome to We've Got Issues. With the holiday season upon us, we thought it would be fun to take a break from our typical interview format and answer some of the questions we hear most from our clients, partners, and listeners. Yeah, we hope this episode is helpful in one way or another to listeners who may be asking these questions themselves or thinking about their PR and communications priorities. And by the way, if you have a specific question for us, please don't hesitate to leave a comment or message us on social media and we'll get back to you with an answer or maybe address the question in a future episode. Okay, great. So Reva, before we get to those aforementioned questions, any PR stories you've been paying particularly close attention to? TJ, I'm glad you asked because I've really been looking to speak about the Harry and Meghan documentary series oh on Netflix. I, I won't get into it. I haven't actually finished every episode, but I, I want to, at a high level, talk about what a major PR problem this is for the institution that is the crown and the monarchy. I mean, first of all, the fifth season of the crown itself came out, which we all know is a fiction based on real events that happened. And I know they're not happy about that, but then they have their own flesh and blood coming out and, you know, airing out their dirty laundry, which I imagine they're burning bridges that cannot be repaired. How is that good in the long run for Harry and Meghan? It's interesting. And in the second place, do they, are they coming off authentic? How are they appearing to people. Well, I was going to ask you, you know, do you feel like they're being hypocritical by, you know, essentially saying that they wanted out of the public eye in many ways and and now they're uh, launching this multi-part documentary on Netflix? Right. I mean, it's like they are obviously no longer funded the same way that the institution of the monarchy is. So they need to make money. But there are so many ways for them to make money. Did they have to do it by literally, you know, kind of bashing their family? And I understand that they feel like it's one-sided, like the media was portraying them in one light and they want to at least get their side of the story out there. But it really feels like the price of that in terms of relationships is extremely high. And I can't imagine how they must be feeling to be in a place where they're willing to go there and to pay that price. So. I found it all really interesting. I do happen to think that they come off authentic and it's just interesting content. But TJ, what about you? Any corporate crises that have piqued your interest recently? Yeah, you know, I've really been intrigued by the whole FTX collapse. Mm -hmm. You know, of course, FTX uh, was the world's second largest cryptocurrency exchange with this real character, Sam Bankman Freed, or SBF, as he's been dubbed uh, at the center uh, of the scandal as its former CEO. For those that uh, haven't been paying attention, he's been arrested, accused by the SEC of perpetrating an $8 billion fraud against his customers. SBF, for his part, claims he merely screwed up, uh, that his actions weren't malicious. But I think it's doubtful a jury will buy his uh, Mickey the Dunce routine. And the really interesting part Part of it is, you know, we see 
the typical reaction of a CEO at the center of a corporate crisis, you know, Freed had a completely different playbook. Instead of going into a bunker or releasing a carefully crafted statement, he granted interviews to just about anyone that requested one. I don't know if you saw any of them, but uh, he didn't exactly cover himself in glory. He was challenged to answer even the most basic of questions. And so, you know, and, and this is an individual who was often on stage with dignitaries such as Bill Clinton and Tony Blair. I have to say, I've been listening and reading as much as I possibly can about this story because it is so interesting. I mean, I am not a finance brain. I certainly don't understand crypto. I don't understand the blockchain. That said, you know, the whole idea that we all just agree that this cryptocurrency is worth something, you know, there's no regulation. It's not anyone. It's it's like the Wild West out there. So none of this surprises me. And it is really interesting to kind of watch it implode. Um, you know, some are asking if he's like a Bernie Madoff type person, you know, what are his true intentions? And this will, you know, all play out in court eventually. But I agree. It's super compelling story and very, it feels like it's counterintuitive to go out and offer interviews, but to his grave, he's trying to pretend like he's on their side. Oh, I'll I'll talk to the media. Like I have nothing to hide. Your lawyer said, don't talk to media. This is just not smart. Like former Theranos CEO Elizabeth Holmes, I'm certain we can expect a, a documentary and probably a Netflix scripted drama starring Jonah Hill as SBF in the not too distant future. And I will be tuning in to whatever it is that is coming soon to a streaming platform near me. But anyway, let's dive into our mailbag. This is um, our first question here is about the extra buzzy phrase. We use it all the time and we talk about it all the time, which is thought leadership. So the question is, what is the most impactful way to begin putting myself or the key executives at my company out there as a thought leader in my industry in the media? Well, I think we can all agree there's a lot of noise out there, right? Whether it's posts on social media channels like LinkedIn, podcasts or written opinion pieces. It's hard to elevate the dialogue if you're just taking part in the conversation. You really need to set the agenda. And by setting the agenda, we mean identifying an issue, ideally a timely issue that hasn't received the attention it deserves or bringing a unique perspective. Perhaps it's an original opinion or a contrarian viewpoint. Other elements that are really helpful in securing thought leadership coverage that we found are firsthand accounts and stories, real life examples or proof points, maybe a recent study which backs up an opinion or call to action. For example, if an architect is speaking about a particular design trend, it can be made that much more powerful by, let's say a project example in which the architect applied those principles. Right. I mean, the the key point, I think you said it all, TJ, the key point here is that it's called thought leadership, not thought followership. So you really need to be leading the conversation with something new or something different, or it's not the right topic to participate in. So the next question, Reva, is about media training and where and how specifically participants typically make the most improvement or progress. Right. So there's a lot we can say here about media training. You know, some people will ask, do I need media training? Why is it important, et cetera? And if you're new to interviews or you haven't had a lot of experience speaking in public, you likely don't know, first off, you know, what you look like when you're speaking or you're being interviewed. And it's not just obviously about what you look like, but sometimes we have quirks and things that we may not realize that we're doing when speaking to someone, which could impact the way that we sound, especially if it's in a more high pressure situation like an interview on a difficult subject, when the stakes are high, you want to be answering in the right way, noticing things like how frequently you say, um, 
or if you add other filler words like, you know, all the time into your answer. So it's exactly that type of stuff that is really valuable when you practice because we all do it. And making sure that we're ironing those things out is a key of why we do media training and why we feel it's important. The other thing is when you go into conversations with the media, you really want to have an idea of what two or three messages you want the interviewer or whoever it is you're speaking to to take away from your conversation. That's regardless of what questions you're asked. You know, you want to come into the conversation and have that person take away these two or three key messages. And so that's a skill that we like to help people practice and learn in media training. And another reason why we think it's a really valuable thing to do. Yeah. I mean, there's also a lot in the presentation portion of media training that we cover when it comes to journalists, for instance, you know, their motivations and their methods, how they ask a question in multiple ways in order to get an answer out of you, right? How they'll stop talking in the hope that their subject will fill the silence or how they might try and trip you up and, and catch you in a contradiction. So I think that, like you said, there's a practical aspect to media training. There's also an educational piece to it in that the more you learn about reporters, the more you can anticipate how they'll ask questions and even perhaps what the content of their questions might be. Right, exactly. The point being, practice is always helpful and valuable. So moving on to our next question, and this is about dealing with a reputational crisis. So in a situation like that, where there are new developments, new information coming out every hour. What do I do if I am someone on the crisis response team, the designated team handling the crisis? If the media calls me, I don't know anything about the situation at present because like we said, things are unfolding and I don't know how to respond. TJ, as the leader of IMG's crisis practice, what would you tell a client to do in that situation? Well, it's always challenging because... You know, I think we can all agree that it's important to demonstrate a certain level of transparency and accountability to prove that you have nothing to hide and are managing or responding to the crisis to the best of your or the brand's ability. And that's why we recommend, you know, bridge or stopgap statements, which manage to keep the lines of communication open while not having all of the facts uh, just yet. What's particularly helpful in these statements is how they frame information in ways that, you know, you never have to walk them back. For example, you know, if you start off statements with phrases such as what we know at this time or what we've learned so far, then, you know, you position statements in a way that the information is being presented in real time. So that way, you know, messages are up to date, they're truthful, and they show a good faith effort on the part of the brand to be responsive in media inquiries, understanding that facts on the ground are changing very quickly and that, you know, there will very likely have to be a follow-up statement with uh, the latest information. Right. And, you know, when you have those relationships with reporters or in a crisis, as you're developing relationships with reporters who are covering the story, as much as you're able to share, you know, you will. Keeping that relationship as open, as you mentioned, is always a good idea. So our next question is about social media and more specifically, the trolls constantly trying to stir up trouble. Our listeners want to know how they can keep a pulse on social media activity and keep the trolls at bay. So the answer here is a little more case by case. But what we do say just as a general recommendation overall is that we really don't suggest engaging in those types of battles online. Unfortunately, it's just part of the Internet 
that these people exist out there and that sometimes you'll get a negative comment on your page or on your feed. And, you know, if you're, for example, a multifamily owner, a property manager, you could possibly ask for that person's contact information if they're coming to the platform to say something negative about the building that they're in, or they're coming to air out a complaint that, you know, has yet to be resolved by the landlord. Sometimes that will happen. And the best way to address it is to connect with them directly and ask them to take the conversation offline. Um, Oftentimes that will resolve the situation, you know, well for everyone. But the last thing that you want to do is essentially appear as if you're hand selecting comments or posts that are on your social media page and deleting ones that are negative. That will never look good. Um, And we certainly don't recommend doing that. So for the most part, let it lie. And if there does happen to be someone who is repetitively commenting and seems to really have it out for your brand and for your page for whatever reason, then it becomes something to possibly flag to the social media channel or a blocking situation that might be appropriate. Yeah. Um, we do get questions from clients, especially when there's doxing taking place on their social media channels. And, you know, to your point, Reva, the only time we suggest the leading posts are blocking a poster altogether is if they use crude language, if they personally attack someone, you know, calling them up by name, or if you've made every attempt to take the conversation offline and offer assistance with whatever their issue was uh, to begin with. But if they clearly aren't interested in a solution and are only there to stir up trouble, then we say, okay, it's it's fine to block them because there's no point in having somebody on your feeds that isn't looking for a solution to a problem or isn't making uh, a thoughtful critique or giving honest feedback. And people do really appreciate when brands engage with them online. So, you know, how do I keep a pulse on the social media activity? Get in there, look in the comments, comment back, make sure that you're engaging. Engagement is always a positive thing um, and people like to see it. And that's one way to keep a pulse on social media activity. Well, I think that does it for our end of the year mailbag episode. TJ, I've had a lot of fun answering questions. Do you have uh, any plans for the holiday before we? wrap up here? Yeah, I think we'll uh, probably take our son up for uh, a ski lesson or two uh, up north. Uh, How about yourself? That's nice. We'll probably try and get in a ski day, mostly going to be a staycation, hanging out at our new house and just enjoying quality time together. And we hope all of our listeners have a great holiday season. And we want to thank you for listening to We've Got Issues in 2022. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening so you don't miss out on future conversations. And if you've enjoyed this conversation or previous episodes, let us know by leaving a review and following us on social media, issues underscore group on Instagram or at issues underscore group on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. That's it for now. We will talk to you soon. Happy New Year.